Praise the Lord. Just adjust this a little bit here. Well, the Lord is a great God. And uh, He's such a wonderful, wonderful friend to us. He's a real true friend. And uh, a lot of things happen in life that we don't understand. But we've got our trust and our hope and our confidence in one that knows all things. He, and He does all things well. We can always put our trust in Him. Our problem in our humanity is that so often we, uh, instead of trusting Him, we begin to trust our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our own ability, our charisma, our talents, and uh, we'll step out of line at times. But, and then God, in His genuine mercy and grace, He just keeps reaching to us, though we've maybe made some mistakes. I've made so many mistakes in my life and that's the thing that's always amazed me about the love of God is that He still loves us and I appreciate God. Uh, ever, well, the other few weeks ago we, we've been in Milwaukee for 15 years and one of the elders in the church, we were having an anniversary service and he made mention as they were honoring my wife and I and he said, one thing I uh, appreciate about Brother Rogers since he's come to Milwaukee to Elam Tabernacle. He said, I never did really understand that God was my friend. He said, I always put God, he was so almighty, so powerful, that I could not really realize that God was just a friend. And uh, that's what I found out in my lifetime, that God is a real, true friend. And now sometimes we recognize him. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And so many times we grow up in such fear of him. And, uh, and that's primarily, I told someone recently, I said, reason these people are, are not enjoying being in churches or sin in their life. And you know, when you've got sin in your life and you walk into the presence of the Almighty God, you're miserable. <laughs> you can't enjoy yourself. But when uh, you're in tune with the Lord, you're always glad to gather into the house of God. It's a real privilege to be here. I've known Brother Steve Kiley for one or two years now. And uh, I've been in Wisconsin for 30 years. And uh, I'm his brother's presbyter. And I've known him since he started the church in Oconomowoc. And uh, I remember supporting him going to Oconomowoc to start that church. So I've been around Wisconsin for a few years, and it's good to be here. I've driven through Plymouth quite a number of times. My brother once started a church, the church in Sheboygan and uh, years ago before Brother Wasserman ever went to Sheboygan. And so I was in Oshkosh, and I used to drive back and forth from Oshkosh to Sheboygan uh, quite a bit. So I've uh, seen a lot of changes and a lot of things happen over this period of time. A lot of people have been filled with the Holy Ghost. We had a great service Sunday night. My little five-year-old granddaughter received the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and uh, her father, my son Steve, received the Holy Ghost when he was four. He liked about 20 days being five. <laughs> and he received it at the Wisconsin camp. And now his daughter received the Holy Ghost Sunday night at the age of five. Well, she's almost six. She'll be six in two or three months. And we had another lady get the Holy Ghost and a man we baptized that's been incarcerated that 
in a halfway house and was out to church Sunday night. And God's pouring out His Spirit. And uh, a few weeks ago, I told Brother Grant about it. Or a few weeks ago, we were together. A lady come to church. She was in a wheelchair. And uh, they'd met her out, our uh, outreach people were out just knocking on doors and met this lady and her daughter. And her daughter has since received the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name. But the mother's been in the wheelchair for I don't know how many years, but the doctors had told her she'd never walk again. And just a few weeks ago, she was at the altar. After altar service, people were around the altar praying. She wheeled her wheelchair down to the altar. One of the men in the church was knelt there and praying with her, and she said, you know, I feel like a tingling sensation, and I feel like I want to walk. And then she got up and walked, first time in years. And, uh, and it wasn't, you know, we weren't praying for the sick. We were praying for people there. People were receiving the Holy Ghost around the altar. And then Monday she called me. And I didn't get to talk to her Sunday night. I didn't know all this happened. A young man that was praying with her came up and told me that almost everyone had gone. He said, Brother Rogers, there was a miracle tonight. And I said, yeah, what was it? And he said, well, Grandma, I forget her name now, but uh, said she got out of that wheelchair and walked. I said, is that right? I didn't see that. So she called me Monday and told me. She said, said Pastor Manuel, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, but uh, I went down to that altar and I was praying and my legs started tingling and I told the brother that I felt like I wanted to walk. <laughs> she said, I've been walking all through my apartment today and I've been out in the yard walking. And, and oh, she was so excited. And uh, God is just a great God, you know, and, and He's a real friend to us. I'm not going to take up uh, I, I didn't know I was, Brother Grant's going to preach. I'm, but, uh, Brother Kylie, Brother Kylie read a scripture, uh, the last uh, one that he read, St. John chapter 14. I'm just going to just read that and then read a few other scriptures in conjunction with it. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Then Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Yesterday my wife and I were out doing some visitation uh, where... They're doing visitation tonight. We have a, the month of August set aside as reach-out time. And on Wednesday night, instead of church services, we're just going out into the neighborhoods around the church. And uh, tonight they're going out. I couldn't be there, so 
My wife and I went out last night into an area and spent a little an hour, a little over an hour, just knocking on doors and talking and greeting people and inviting them to pray. Just join us in prayer for the neighborhoods. We call it Neighborhood Prayer Watch. And inviting them. We met so many nice people and people that are hungry and desiring a move of God in their lives. This says there's a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know, verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. It's so wonderful to become acquainted with God. To have Him fill you with His wonderful Spirit. And uh, then uh, it says men should fear in the presence of God. We should not fear God, and I talked about Him being a friend. But I am so fearful that I might do something that would offend God or bring a reproach upon Him. You were singing a beautiful chorus about giving glory to God, and I noticed everyone stood. And our, almost everyone was standing and worshiping God. And, uh, of course, we can't really give glory to God because He is glory. But we can praise Him and lift Him up and worship Him and magnify His name. Thus, we glorify His name. But as far as giving glory to God, I don't know just how we can really do that when He is, he is glorified. Thank the Lord. But uh, we can worship Him and praise Him and trust Him. He knows what He's doing. There's a time for everything. I mentioned that uh, some, you know, we don't understand all things and we don't understand sometimes God's timing. But if we're faithful to Him, and if you'll always walk with God and put your trust in Him, don't, get, don't try to get ahead of Him. Sometimes we think He's slow. But, uh, but He does everything on time, you know. And uh, we're the ones, you know, we get anxious. And I was talking to someone recently at home, and I said, the problem is you just foul things up. I said, you you got to realize, you know, if you'd have listened to me to start with, you wouldn't have had that problem. And he said, well, you're right, Brother Rogers. And he called me up the other day, and he apologized. He told me, he said, Brother Rogers, I'm so sorry. He said, I, you know, I just got ahead of you and ahead of God, and I've made a mess. <laughs> now he said, please forgive me, and I submit to your uh, pastoralship, and I want you to just tell me what I'm supposed to do. And that's kind of that's the attitude we have to take. And uh, uh, we want to please God. And I know you do. I can tell by your spirit of worship and praise here tonight. And it's just wonderful to be here. I, some of you I know, but uh, some of you I don't know. 
And it's just a real privilege to meet you and to be here. And uh, we just want to worship God together, praise God together, and uh, live for the Lord. There's a hungry world out there. There's people out there, and I don't know... I don't know your neighborhood or anything, but I know down the street from our house. And on both sides, we've got people that don't know God. We went to a neighbor's next-door neighbor. My wife and I knocked on their door and, and uh, talked to them, and we, they invited us in. And, and we didn't really know them that well. We've lived by them for uh, several years now. But uh, they started telling us how lonely they were. They're right next door to us, right next door to the church. And started telling us how lonely they were, and uh, and all, and uh, how heartbroken they've been over things, and uh, that's what we're calling it: this neighbor neighborhood prayer watch, trying to get neighbors to become acquainted with neighbors, and the church uh, to become better acquainted with the neighborhood, because there are a lot of hurting people, and our duty and responsibility as the church is to share this wonderful gospel of salvation that the Lord has blessed us to know. Thank the Lord. Lord bless you, and perhaps I'll be seeing more of you in the near future. such a privilege to be with Brother Grant. I don't get this opportunity often to travel with him somewhere, but I count it a privilege to be with him tonight and to introduce him. He's our district, Wisconsin district superintendent. He's a good friend of mine. We've known each other for a number of years and worked together. And uh, it's just a real privilege to have him come and speak to you tonight. You just worship God Amen. and, and uh, love God. Brother Grant, come right on and minister to us tonight. Thank you, Brother Rogers, and pra- praise the Lord. My, it's, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. This is the first day. Of our vacation, Sister Grant and I started a vacation today. <laughs> Let's see, where you need it. just put it right down here. Sister Grant is with me. She is in the motel. She had a root canal, and then it got abscessed, and uh, <clears throat> she is not feeling too well. I really don't know what it's like to have uh, toothache. I don't know how how I have escaped, but I have absolutely no cavities. <laughs> I'm serious with you, and I never had a toothache. I do praise the Lord for that. <laughs> I tell you, <clears throat> oh, praise God! Now <clears throat> we want you to just relax. I'm going to spend some time with you tonight. If there's anybody here that should be nervous, it ought to be me because. I'm going to be the one doing all the speaking. Now, I notice this mic is shaking, but it's not shaking because I'm shaking. I don't know where to Why it's doing that, I noticed it was shaking when Brother Rogers was up here. <clears throat> but uh, we just wanted to get into a few things. I have known uh, many of you for many, many years. In fact, Sister Kylie received the Holy Ghost in our church in Madison. And she was uh, one of our saints there for... A good number of years, Brother Kylie thinks he came over and rescued her, but (laughs) it really really isn't that way. (laughs) 
Through the many years, the only way I've really changed is this. I keep uh, putting on a little bit more weight. Uh, but, uh, in fact, I, uh, I heard over the radio the other day. I'm just going to throw this in, okay? I heard over the radio the other day, if you kiss your wife, you lose nine calories. So I got to figuring this up. Now, I, I, I kiss my wife. I kiss my wife about three times or more a day, but I'd say an average. Now, if I kiss my wife three times a day in one year's time, I lose over 10,000 calories. And we have been married this coming November 35 years. So I have, <laughs> I have used up better than 400,000 calories. So if anybody thinks I'm overweight now, just think what I'd look like if I hadn't met Sister Grant. <laughs> well, it's a, good, it's a good way of looking at it, you know. <laughs> oh, my. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> we want to have uh, fun with you tonight. Uh, it is a lot of fun to get into the Scripture. Uh most of you know why I am here and why Brother Rogers is here. And, of course, we come here without reservation. Uh, we actually requested to come here. We wanted to come. Uh, we know that uh, uh, this is a very, very important meeting for us and a very important meeting for you. I promise you that we're going to stay right with the Bible, with Scripture. I just have a subject that I want to uh, speak to you about. I prayed about this. I honestly sought God. I must tell you, this is not tailor-made for this assembly. And the reason why is because <clears throat> I recently taught this very lesson in Florida at a camp meeting, and part of it in Iowa at a camp meeting. I preached this to the Wisconsin District Ministers. Also, I have uh, given this to our church and all the new people coming into our church. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to John 17... And if you would be so kind as to stand, I would appreciate it. John 17, 18. Now, this is not going to be a preaching session. This will be a teaching session. It may take me a little while to get through all of this, but I feel it necessary, even if we have to take a break. <laughs> In John seventeen eighteen, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Now this is Jesus praying to the Father. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect and one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved me, for thou hast loved me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, God, for the reading of your word. 
We thank you, God, for all of the things that your word speaks to us concerning. I pray, Heavenly Father, that the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ would move, Lord Jesus, in this place, and that the glory of our great God would come. Heavenly Father, you are rich and real and mighty and true. I pray your anointing upon your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. All right. And you may be seated. The reason why that this is scripture is so unique is because it is a prayer that Jesus is praying himself concerning us. It sounds like I'm breaking something here. But But, uh, what I find so unique about this prayer is that it is a prayer that Jesus alone or God alone cannot answer. And the reason why that it's so unique is that the truth of the matter is it's, it's probably one of the few prayers that would ever be prayed concerning you that really only you could answer. Now that's the reason why that it's so unique. Because he's praying a prayer about you and because that God has given to us the ability to make choices, that it is a prayer that really only you can make or you can answer. Now, <clears throat> this business of choices, you know, it's it's so important to make right decisions. Uh, God has given us the authority or the prerogative to choose but uh, we do not have the choice to determine the end of the road of that decision. In other words, we can make decisions, but the outcome of that decision is not ours. If we make bad choices, ultimately it will turn out to be bad. If we make good choices, ultimately they will turn out to be good. Now, I will say this. I believe that the Bible, uh, contrary to what a lot of people might think, I believe that there are many exceptions to some of the rules of the Scripture. Now, let me explain. I do not believe that there is one person that is here today that is filled with the Holy Ghost and on your way to heaven that is not here as a result of God making an exception to a rule that's found in Scripture. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And so all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when Jesus came upon the scene, Jesus began to lay an exception to the original law of sin. First, he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He used that that very word, saying that the original law of sin, that God, because of his extreme love for mankind, would make an exception to the original law. And then, of course, Jesus comes along and tells John the Baptist, pardon me, I don't know why I said that. Jesus came along and told Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, as far as I can see, Concerning the original law of sin, the exception starts with repentance 
and ends in the new birth, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. If you can find in the Bible an exception to the original law of sin, that is that God would make an exception because of good works, absolutely not. It's not there. God will make an exception because of, uh, uh, because of your love for humanity. Uh, no, though I give my body to be burned, Paul said. Uh, what, uh, what, uh, what are we actually talking about when we say this? We're saying that, that, uh, even though sometimes adverse and maybe bad decisions can be made, that, uh, well, let me put it this way. Christianity is the only religion that I know of in the world that teaches from every bad thing can come something good. And the good is determined by the attitude of the individual participating or the individuals participating. Now concerning the original law of sin, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God has made an exception to us because of our attitude toward our sin. And it started in repentance. Now I do see a little slight hint in John eight twenty four. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. The word exception is not found there, but I think you could insert it. And, and of course, this prefaces repentance, because could a man repent to a God that he did not accept or believe in? I mean, he could not. And so first, we must believe and accept that Jesus Christ is the Almighty and that he and he alone can take away sins. That he's the great I am. Now, I, I've searched the Bible front and back. I've debated this issue with many ministers. And if there is an exception to the original law, that is, if a man can be saved any other way, then baptism in Jesus' name, first believing in him, baptism, repentance of sins, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, I have not found it in the scripture, and I've challenged a lot of people, and I have not yet had anyone to uh, come and offer any other evidences. So, we see an exception to the original law. So, this and this alone should uh, give us all uh, reason to come into the house of God and sing some of the joyous courses about salvation with tears in our eyes. Realizing that we're not really worthy, but we are justified by His Spirit. Now concerning this new birth, I brought along our Pentecostal manual. This is something that the average person in a church never sees, nor never knows exists. Brother Kyle is familiar with the Pentecostal manual. He has been one of our ministers. Brother Rogers is familiar with this. Uh, on page 22 in this, we, we have our fundamental doctrine. I want to read the fundamental doctrine of the United Pentecostal Church. It says, The basic and fundamental doctrine of this organization shall be the Bible standard of full salvation, which is repentance, baptism in water by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial sign of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. I can say... Amen to that. I believe that. I know that you do also. Now, there's a, there's a second part of it, though, <clears throat> that 
While we may not consider it to be equally as important as the first part, it is extremely important. Listen to this. We shall endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit until we all come into the unity of the faith, at the same time admonishing all brethren that they should not contend for their different views to the disunity of the body. Now, truthfully, years ago when I first came into Pentecost, I received the Holy Ghost April 15, 1961. I'm a pretty newcomer when it comes to, I think Brother Rogers has been in since back in mid-50s. In 1949, Brother Rogers received the Holy Ghost when I was nine years old. But uh, uh, I never had a real problem with the fundamental doctrine. In fact, I... I searched the scripture and searched the scripture and searched the scripture. And uh, at one time, because I, I wasn't in a church, but I was dating a girl that happens to be my wife now, who was uh, not of the Pentecostal faith, and she thought she was right. And and for some reason, I, I kind of wanted to believe that she was. And in fact, I wanted to go to church with her and did go to church with her. But I, I couldn't, I just couldn't find it in the scripture. I do believe that Napoleon Bonaparte was right when he said the greatest derangement of the mind is for a man to believe something simply because he wants to believe it. And uh, I had I had heard that statement, read that statement concerning this this world leader uh, many years before I came to God, and this was always in the back of my mind to believe something simply because you want to believe it. I searched the scripture. Basically, I put it this way, I settled that once and for all. Uh, I have not doubted it. I preached it since I started preaching back in 1962 or 63, even before I became a licensed minister of the United Pentecostal Church. I preached it. I believed it. I still believe it. I settled it once and for all. Now, the unique part, however, of the fundamental doctrine is that the second part of it is something that you don't ever settle once and for all, that it is something that, for the most part, you have to work on every day of your life. And this is not something you just say, well, I believe it, and I, I'm going to settle this in my mind. Now, this is taken from Ephesians 4, if you'll take your Bibles and turn there, and this is not going to be what I'd call a real structured Bible study, but just some things that I want to get into. Uh, verse 11 of Ephesians 4, and this is talking about the fivefold ministry. Now, the, some of our preachers do not believe in the existence of the fivefold ministry today. That is, they do not believe that there are apostles today or prophets today. Some say they're only evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That I will not even get into. And it's irrelevant to me what Pastor Kylie believes or Brother Rogers believes concerning this. I know both of them went to Apostolic Bible Institute. I happen to go to Texas Bible College. <laughs> uh, well, but I, I just know what some people believe about this. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. But I do know this, that regardless of how we accept the ministry, we do know that these are real gifts that have come down uh, from heaven, from God. And God has so ordained it to be that way. Now verse 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a, into a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ. Now the reason for this, he says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now see, what, what happens is that, that uh, because sometimes we don't see eye to eye on certain things, we press the issue to the point that uh, we are not Christ-like in our uh, approach. And, and I have said this many times, and some of you have heard me teach and, and make statements like this. I do not believe that the truth, even though the truth will stand on its own two feet, that the truth should be presented by people who are nasty in their spirit. Uh, because I think you pretty much nullify uh, what you're what you're trying to yeah. trying to do, yeah. and and there are always differences. There are things that you won't understand, things that you won't see. Now, <clears throat> verse twenty four, verse twenty three. Pardon me, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And then if you look at how he concludes the book, the last uh, three, uh, not the book, the chapter. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And this this is so beautiful; it is so very, very beautiful. Now, <clears throat> notice what he says here in in verse twenty-six: Be ye angry and sin not; let not the sun go down on your wrath. And verse twenty-seven, he says, neither give place to the devil. In other words, what he's saying is that if you do have a difference. In, in anything, if, if a difference ever occurs, the first thing you want to do is before, don't let the sun go down before that, that somehow you reach a place where you can agree in your spirit. You may not agree doctrinally, but in your spirit. And, and he says, now, what happens is, if, if, if in the event you, you don't reach that point of reconciliation, then uh, there is a possibility of giving place to the devil. And if you look at several different translations, some translation, one translation for sure says, don't let the devil set up a stronghold in your life. And, and this is so, so important. It's so important. And the reason why it's so important is because that's exactly what the devil would like to do. Now, we know, according to the Spirit, uh, second, according to the Bible, Second Corinthians ten, that the the Bible uh, talks about the pulling down of strongholds. The Bible says in verse three of Second Corinthians ten, uh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And uh, what God wants us to remain uh, clear. In, in our relationship with our brothers and sisters and our relationship with God, 
to the, to the point that the devil cannot squeeze in and somehow set up a stronghold. Now, as much as we, we like to, to, to think that it cannot happen, we, we know that it, that it can happen. Now, I don't want anyone to try to second guess where I'm going with this. So you just, you just relax, and, and uh, I'm not here to beat up on anybody. I'm here, I'm, I'm here to just present something that I think is so very beautiful and something that when I finish, you will appreciate, all right? In Revelation 2, verse 12, And to the angel of the church at Pergamos write, Now Pergamos was indeed one of the seven churches of Asia. By that I mean, Pergamos was an apostolic church in existence at the time in which the Apostle John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. All right? Uh, to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edge. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. Now, the reason why, I'm going to stop in there, the reason why that I'm... I'm I'm believing that, that Satan had a stronghold in this church. Now, the word Pergamos is actually taken from a Greek word that means married. Uh, that's, that's exactly what the word means. If you notice, they had the doctrine of Balaam. Uh, Balaam was the prophet of God that would not uh, go prophesy against Israel, but he had this plan whereby that uh, we could infiltrate into the, the pure, uh, unadulterated, one God doctrine, ideas of paganism, uh-huh. which uh, they were going to be brought in by the heathens and therefore uh, weaken the children of Israel. Now, I'm a firm believer, I, after studying the scripture, that the seven churches of Asia also represent seven time frames that, that we find in, in, in church history. And that these time frames parallel with the seven parables of Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, and, and then we go on down to the the, the, the the hidden treasure in the field, which represents a time frame of the Reformation, and then the pearl of great price, the restoration of, of truth uh, through Jesus' name, baptism, uh, an introduction of the true identity of Jesus back into the religious ranks. And then the last parable is the parable of the great dragnet, which was cast in the sea to get the fish of every kind. And that's where we are, because Jesus Christ is coming back and his house must be filled. However, we also must understand that these were churches existing at this time. Is it possible that a church would be so worldly-minded and so married to the world that, that Satan could set up a stronghold there. Now, if I'm understanding uh, Ephesians 4 correctly, uh, this, no doubt, has a better uh, seedbed, uh, a better place for existence where people are not uh, getting along together with each other. You know, that's just... Because that's what he's addressing. But then he also addresses this worldliness issue. He addresses worldly lust and things. And when Satan can get in among God's people and set up a stronghold. You know, he's just got a toehold there. He's gonna, he won't let go. And, and, and that, that is so very, very important. Now, I go back to John 17 and then you understand the extreme importance of the prayer that Jesus prayed. When he said, I pray that you be, will be one. He's praying that Brother Rogers and I will be one. 
that Brother Kyle and I will be one, and that you will be one with your pastor, and we'll be one with each other, and we'll be one with Christ. And, and anything less than that, uh, I find in the Scripture, is great opportunity uh, for the devil setting up a stronghold. And uh, there, there's nothing, let me tell you this, there, there's nothing in all the world uh, for Pentecostals that will create more havoc and more concern. There's nothing that will create more misery than a relationship with someone that's, that's gone sour. And you know that. Nothing will. Now, in the home, uh, you know, it's a bad marriage. I don't know of nothing uh, in the home that will create, in a person's life, I don't know of anything that would create more havoc than a bad marriage. I'm telling you, I, I love my wife dearly. Yeah, we will be married 35 years this coming in November. I told my wife, I said, honey, if you ever leave me, I'm leaving with you. <laughs> Just the way I feel about it. <laughs> I'm going with you. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and, uh, uh, really, because, I mean, I, I just can't, people come in for counseling all the time. I'm sure that this happens to these pastors, and, and, and they're, they're going over things, and I sit in my office, and I said, oh, my. You know, if, if somehow you just knew what a good marriage could be like, you know, if you just knew. Praise God, if you just knew. And not only is that true in a marriage, but it's also true in a church. And I, I, I ex- I'm experiencing here tonight a good warm feeling. I'm experiencing a lot of unity. Brother Rogers uh, made reference to your worship. I, I'm really glad that I'm here, and I'm glad that I can come and, and talk to you. You know, God is such a logical God. He is, he's such a logical God. And this is something that we need to understand. Because we, we, you know, we think, well, if, if things are not right between us and someone else, uh, what, 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 uh, what difference does that matter? Well, it, it makes a lot of difference. Let me just ex- let me ex- explain something. See, Jesus told us that we should not judge each other. He told us not to judge each other. Uh, and, and I agree with that. Now, I do believe that that scripture, however, should be taken in in the proper context in which it's written, because I do find in the Scripture that there is a chain of command, and I find that a superior can pull rank on those under him. Now, you know that's true. In, in the household, for an example, if you tell your son to take out the trash, and he says, well, I don't want to take out the trash. And uh, you tell him, yes, you're going to take out the trash. I mean, somebody's pulling rank, and a superior can do that. And, of course, God is the superior of all of us, and therefore he can and does pull rank on us all the time. There are times in prayer when the Lord deals with me about something. I tell him no. I tell him just, no, I don't want to do that. I catch myself, no, I don't want to do that. And some things are negotiable, but uh, some things are not. And that's just, that's just the way it goes, you know. And, and, and the Lord has told me, no, you've got to do this. I don't know, Lord, I'd reason with God. And, and see, I do believe that God is a reasonable God. Uh, and, and Isaiah 1, come now let us reason together, saith the Lord. But you see, I found this, when I get into a dialogue with God, it seems like he always comes out the winner. See, come now let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. In other words, when I reason with him because I don't want to do something, he always reminds me of where I came from and what he did for me. You, you understand what I'm talking about? 
So God's a very reasonable God. Now, this is what he said. So two brothers on equal terms, and one judges the other. The truth of the matter is, the Bible says that you shouldn't judge. And the reason why you shouldn't judge, number one, that you don't know the man's heart. You know, you don't have access to the, uh, you don't know what's going on inside of him. But, but the second reason is because the same judgment that you judge your brother by will be the judgment that God will judge you by. So the criteria that you set up for your brother, whether it be right or wrong, the Lord says, in other words, if, if you are making life harder than what it ought to be for someone, God is going to make life harder for you. And that's, he said, that's, that's the way it's going to be. And then, of course, another thing that he did, he came, he came along, and uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in, in Rome, and, and when Paul talks about the church, uh, he says, you know, that uh, uh, concerning eating of meats, he said, it's okay to eat meats and such, but he said, now, you've got to keep one thing in mind, however. He said that uh, uh, if you are eating meats and you're in doubt of it, he said, that which is in doubt is that you do in doubt, that which you do without faith, he said, uh, th- that's a sin. And the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, you may look in the Scripture and say, well, I, I don't see anything in the Bible, but yet if you doubt in your mind, he says, God's going to chalk it up as a sin. And the reason why is because you are proving to God that you are willing to jeopardize your relationship with God just in order to have your way. So whether it's sinful or not, Paul says God's going to chalk it up as sin because you didn't do it with a good, clear conscience knowing that everything was right. As Brother Rogers said, being very careful. If I understand the fruits of repentance that's found in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, starting with verse 11, Paul says, uh, he said, what clearing of yourself, what carefulness it wrought in you. That repentance brings a carefulness and a clearing of the individual. And, And so for you to go and violate that, uh, whether it's right or wrong, if you haven't settled the issue, that proves to God you're willing to jeopardize your relationship. So God's going to chalk it up as sin, whether it is a sin or not. Now, there's another area. That spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, the evil speaking be put away from among you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And notice he says, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, this is something that is extremely important as far as I can see. I have searched the Scripture and searched the Scripture and searched the Scripture. And there's one thing that I found. Always takes a careful look at when it comes to sin. And that is not so much your sin, while he does look at your sin, and he has the ability to look at sin. And we'll be talking about that in, in just a, a few moments. But, but God wants to know how you feel about everybody else's sin. Now that's something that's extremely important. Let me, uh, let me just address this from the prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew 6 verse 8. Uh, we'll ver- read verse 9. This is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now notice Jesus said amen. And that's normally what you would expect at the close of something. The word amen simply means so be it. Or it is settled, it's finished. But Jesus went back and picked up one thought from his prayer and and he emphasized this and and throughout his ministry he emphasized it time would not allow me to go into all the scriptures there are certain things that if you see god emphasize them over and over and over uh you need to take careful thought of it if you read through the scripture you'll find this this business about balaam coming up over and over and over God continually inspires people to write about it. That simply means this is something that God never really got out of his mind. This business about the doctrine of, uh, of the wicked Jezebel, which is found in the letter to Thyatira, the, the, the next church that's spoken of, you'll find that uh, he, he constantly mentions this. Another thing that he constantly mentions is, is Babylon. It's brought up over and over and over in the book of Revelation, Mystery Babylon. God seemingly never got that out of his mind. It was there. And he wanted to warn people. Another thing that I find that he warns us of, when it comes to the last days, uh, when the signs of times are so greatly intensified, like we're living now, you know, it's, it's amazing. I just picked up the Time magazine and also U.S. News and World Report, I think, a week ago, concerning this, this business in, in, in Israel, the signing of the peace treaties and everything. And, and now Israel now is talking about building a highway out of Egypt that runs all the way to to Syria. Well, if, if you look in, I, in Isaiah 66, that's that's prophesied. It's going to happen that way. Right, right in the Bible, it's prophesied that that there will be a road built out of Egypt all the way to Assyria. Now it's it's, it's Syria, but but it's right in the Scripture. And when when I read that and saw it, I said, Oh my! I quickly turned to the Scripture. And I said, Look, it's right here. It's prophesied. But, but this is what Jesus said uh, many, many times when he prophesied about it and when the apostles prophesied about the coming of the Lord or wrote concerning He used this statement. He said, see that you be not deceived. It's just seemingly something God can never get out of his mind when he prophesied about the last days. See that you be not deceived. Now I said all that to lay the foundation for this. You'll find this over and over and over when people are praying for their sins to be forgiven. Jesus came back and said, Amen, and never even stopped hard and never even drew another breath. He says, For if you forgive men not their trespasses, your heavenly Father, if you forgive men rather their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you your trespasses. But if you forgive men or forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, God is so logical, this is what he's saying. If you had the opportunity to trade the places, trade places with God, and, and you never will in, in a, true, a true sense, but in, in many cases you do represent Christ here. If, if you had the opportunity to trade places with God, would you act like God acts? Now, if you wouldn't act like God acts, then when it comes to your relationship with God, don't expect God to act normally. If when you had the opportunity to trade places with God, you wouldn't act like God acts. 
See, God is extremely predictable. If you do certain things, he will do certain things. If we have sinned, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is what? He is just to forgive us. That's what he says. However, there's an exception to that. And the exception of that is, if you won't forgive somebody else of their sin against you. In other words, when you have the opportunity to be God to that person, and you will not forgive them, don't expect God to be God to you when you sin. Now, that's, that's an extremely important doctrine. And it's taught throughout the Scriptures. It's taught throughout the Now, I have my own personal feeling about this. I believe... That when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and when he said, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins? No. That's not what he said. He said, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In other words, what he's saying is, You pick up the old book of the past, and this is what's happening to you. When you go down in the water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are fully repented, if you, and I cannot separate the word submission and humility from repentance. Now, I, I can when I, I go to explain, but, but I'm saying that you can't have one without the other. See, there is no such thing as a proud, uh, repentant person, you know, like there's no such thing as a, a humble devil. You see? So, I mean, they go hand in hand. So... Well, I believe what he was saying is when you go down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, period, that, that what you're saying is I want to take the whole book, every sin that's been against me, I forgive that sin. Every sin that, that, I, that I have committed against somebody else, I'm willing to uh, ask God to forgive me and have done that. And, and every sin I've committed against God, I'm, I'm, I, in other words, it's the, it's the closing of the old book. It's the bearing of the old man. I mean, you take the old man, the, every bit of him, and you crucify him. You crucify him with Christ so that he is totally buried, totally buried. He's done away with altogether. Now, there's something that I want to talk about before we go uh, further in this subject of unity. Of course, it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm very far down the road in, on the subject of unity. But I want to talk about the judgment seat of Christ, which I think is extremely important. Romans 14.10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And, of course, at this time, the Bible says that uh, to him every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And I think this is, this is uh, so applicable to this particular lesson. Uh, verse 9, for, this, for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. Now notice what it says. The dead and the living. All right. <clears throat> but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why hast thou set at, at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to me. So even every one of us shall give account to himself, to God. Now, what I find in this, he's talking about that God is both the judge of the dead and the living. And if I'm understanding the scripture correctly, when it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that the judgment seat of Christ is not set up only for the people who are dead. 
that go before God, but it's also set up for the living. Now, that simply means that I have access right now to the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, I can go right now to the judgment seat of Christ. And I think that's one of the most beautiful doctrines that's, that's taught in the Bible. I think this is what Paul was talking about when he, when he speaks to Timothy. I have this written down for your benefit. 1 Timothy 5.24, if you'd like to just uh, uh, turn there. 1 Timothy 5.24, uh, Timothy says, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. And likewise, he talks about the good works, that God rewards some now for good works. But, but basically, you know, if we turn to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, this is the, uh, the explanation of what is really taking place. It's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing that's taught in the Scripture. It concerns <clears throat> the judgment seat of Christ as far as I can see. In verse 12, a verse that all of you could quote, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and of spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him which whom we have to do. See, God, God can see right through your bones. He sees right through your hair, through your skin. He, he can... He can see right down, just like an x-ray can focus right in. X-ray is light. It's on, it's on the, the hot side of the light band. You cannot see it with your eye. Microwave is one that cooks your food. See, there's light that, that, you, that you cannot see. There's, there's cool light on the violent side of the light band that, that, that you can't see. Immediately off of the, the visible light band where we have our spectrum of colors, there, there is ultraviolet light. It's on the cool side. On the red side, it's infrared. See, God has light. God is a, is, is a source of light. He is, the, he is the true source of light. He is the only source of light. See? And this is the reason why that when Satan was kicked out of heaven, the Bible says, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, just like a star that fell. His light went out and was out. Little wonder now that he is a liar and the father of all lies. See? And so when we, when we, when we believe him and we believe his his gospel, his doctrine, uh, uh, crazy things can happen to us because darkness sets in. See, darkness sets in. Uh, so we see, you know, we see signs of light. There's light that you can't see with your eyes, though. The cat can run through the dark. He doesn't follow smell all, because why? Because his eyes can pick up light rays that are not visible to you. He can actually see where you cannot see. When our men went to Desert Storm, they had these binoculars and, and, and scopes and such in which they could see, they picked up light rays, and they could see the enemy. They wanted to fight at night because they could see at night. See? And you get way out on the cool uh, side of the light rays, the amplified modulation, and then past that frequency modulation, which is FM radio and and, and you get it without hardly any static at all. And you say, man, why is this so much clearer than AM? Because you're picking up light rays that are way out there that scientists just a few years ago didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. Now scientists are saying that there's probably no end to, the, to, to, to light, it, it, that it fills the universe. It's, it's everywhere. Now we're cooking food with light. And, and, and we're even getting tickets by light. Uh, radar. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but God can look down and not only read your mind, but He is able to discern the intents of your heart. And you know the uh, the thing about it that this O.J. Simpson trial thing, you know, it's a they said he the the thing we have going for us, the, the prosecuting attorney is is we have a motive. We we know we know what the motive is. Because we've got we've got tapes in which he 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 was constantly in a conflict with with his wife and his ex wife and down we have a motive and we feel that he can be be convicted on on little evidence but yet a strong motive. Did you know that God can read the intents or the motive of your heart? God not only knows how you think, but He knows why you think the way you think. And this is. This is the reason why that the judgment seat of Christ being set up now is such a beautiful thing. See, and the reason why is because before I meet God, before I leave this planet earth, that I can go before the judgment seat and send my sins ahead to be judged. Not only is it possible for me to send them ahead, I can sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, having been justified by His blood, purified by His Spirit. Praise God that His light is able to come in and take everything out of my soul and out of my heart. It's such a beautiful thing. Oh, hallelujah. Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him which whom we have to do. And young people, don't ever think you can. You may hide it from your pastor. You may hide it from your brother. You may hide it from your mom. You may hide it from your dad. You don't hide it from God ever. He sees it all. He knows what happens in the basement. He knows what happens out by the creek bank. He knows what happens in the park. He knows what happens in the roller rink. He knows what happens in the high school. He knows what happens in your bathroom, in your bedroom. God sees all. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now here's how it happened, seeing then that we have a high priest, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. God. Now it's called the throne of grace. But what I want to point out is the first thing you receive at the throne of grace is really not grace itself. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, grace that we may obtain mercy. And then what do we do? We find grace to help in time of need. Mercy is what? It's the withholding of judgment. It means God should have done something. But he decided not to because of the action and the attitude of the person who was guilty. See. That's why Paul says there is now for... Therefore, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. That, that one day the preacher preached, or somebody preached, or something called our attention to, to the horribleness of our sin, and we went before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Mercy is the withholding of judgment means God should have and could have, but he made an exception 
because of our attitude toward him. And this is something that you should, you, sh- you should never, never, never forget. Now what I want to do is go all the way back to the book of Exodus. And I want to talk about the high priest and the anointing of oil that was made in Exodus 30. Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices. Now what's going to happen here, uh, Moses is going to anoint the first high priest, and that was Aaron and, of course, his sons. And they were going to stand in God's stead. Moses <clears throat> was completing the tabernacle. The workmen, everything had been laid out. Now it's time to to take and, and anoint the, the high priest. Take thee also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, be 250 shekels, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary. I want to stop there. I'm purposely not reading the latter part of it. We'll come back. Now, you notice what he's saying is we need some spices. We're gonna, we're gonna, we need at least 500 shekels of myrrh. Now, I'm not for sure why 500 shekels. I, there are certain things that the Bible doesn't tell you, and you're just better off not trying to figure it out, I guess. And then, of course, half as much on sweet cinnamon. Now, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the sweet part of it, you can put more of that in there and, and leave some of this other stuff off. <clears throat> Follow what I'm saying? If you go down through there and you look at this, uh, you'll find that that these were all herbs and spices, and some were very pliable and flexible, and some were very stiff and brittle. Barks of trees and such. We'll not get into all that. Now, this represents you, and it represents me. I will show you this in a minute. And and what what's going to happen here? He's going to put all these in a big uh, basin, and he's going to pound these all together. He's going to crush them. He's going to crush them so that somehow they all lose their identity. Now, what he said I want you to do, I want you to go get an olive. Uh, we want, to, want you to get olive oil, a hen, which is six quarts. Now, the thing about it, this represents the Holy Ghost. needs six quarts of it. Notice now, he didn't put a price on that. Uh, how much is that going to cost? Well, we don't know what the market is today, but whatever it takes to get six quarts. In other words, we've got to have enough to mix them all together. So evidently, in God's wisdom, there was more olive oil needed. Uh, they were going to get more than what they actually needed. And the reason why is because uh, these, when they went to buy it, they didn't know how much they were going to get as far as myrrh for 500 shekels. We don't really know. So you just go get 500 shekels. So if you go out and you, you, you don't have to shop around, just stop over this. This guy's got it for sale and say, I'll give you 500 shekels. I need 500 shekels worth of murder. You may go down the street and get more, but, but that's not important because there's going to be enough oil to mix them all together. Okay. And that was, a, that was the important thing. Uh-huh. See, the only thing that was without price was the olive oil, and that represents the Holy Ghost. Amen. And this represents all of us as individual members of the body of Christ. And I, I don't know how I could properly emphasize the importance of, of this particular lesson in Scripture. And the reason why is because 
This goes all the way back to the pages of, of Ephesus or Ephesians that I, I read to you concerning the church at Ephesus. Uh, you know, there, there's always uh, personality differences, personality traits. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Brother Rogers is such an easygoing man. I, I uh, have him, he calls me. Uh, I turn the answering, sometimes I listen to his answer on my machine two or three times. And my wife said, what are you listening to his, can't you get, he didn't leave a phone. I said, no, no, I just want to listen to him. Because he's not an alarmist. When he calls, he, he's Brother Grant, this is manual. Nothing important, just thought I'd call. Just give me a call whenever you get a chance. <clears throat> Now, Brother Byers just called me. Brother Byers is from Wisconsin Rapids, and he called me about Sunday school convention. We have a state Sunday school convention that was scheduled for Fond du Lac, and he didn't know at the time that they somewhere out in the country they have this big race track out here that's kind of where, where is that? About six miles north. And and would you believe every motel in Fond du Lac's already filled up? But when he got on the when he left his message, I, I couldn't believe it. He said, Brother Grant, we have a problem. Can't find any motel rooms in Fond du Lac. And he just went on and on. I said, oh, slow down just a minute. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Play it back through. I can't. I, I didn't catch it. <clears throat> to get Sister Grant, Sister Grant got in there. We tried to interpret it. What's, what's he saying? <clears throat> so he's up in the Wisconsin Rapids. So the Sun School Convention has been moved to Madison because that's the only place we can find motel rooms. But nevertheless... There's a vast difference between these two men. There is a vast difference. And if you had Brother Rogers as your pastor, let me tell you something. When he stands behind the pulpit and preaches, he preaches under such great anointing. I mean, he just, I don't know if you've ever heard Brother Rogers preach, but man, he is all over the place preaching. I mean to tell you, he's, he's, he's a preacher first class all the way. But when he's dealing with you, he's kind of slow and gentle. And, and he can be firm. I mean, he can be real firm. In fact, he can be extremely firm. <laughs> but there's a vast difference, and I'd say that there's uh, in in some of your homes, husband and wife, there's a there's a vast difference. I'm not an alarmist myself. My wife, uh, she's curious about things. She said, "Did you see that?" And I said, "No." She said, "Well, you need." To... I said, well, I, I, how come? Did they say they were going on vacation? I said, "Yes." She said, "Where?" I said, "I didn't ask." She said, "You mean you didn't ask where they're going?" I said, "No." Now, they didn't offer the information, so I didn't ask. I'm just, you know, I'm just that way. Uh, sometimes I get alarmed about myself, but usually because I get alarmed because I'm not alarmed. I feel I should get alarmed more, but I just don't. That's just the way I am. Brother Rogers can tell you, works on the board, you know, and, and there's just some certain things that, in other words, it takes a whole lot to really uh, push me out of my rut, so to speak, if you want to call it a rut. <laughs> I mean, it just takes a whole lot. Uh, there are other people that you can't pull them down there with you. You know, they're just all over the place. Now, and, and, and when it comes to our emotions that we exhibit in the house of the Lord, I noticed some of you were, were very emotional. Uh, some of you were weeping and crying, others clapping their hands, hallelujah, hallelujah. Some of you just sitting there a little stingy with your religion, you know, just, just you know, just you follow what I'm saying, just wanted to share it with Jesus, nobody else, you know. <clears throat> well... <clears throat> You know, and, 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 and this is the way, 
this is this is the way it is with people. See, that, that's exactly the way it is with people. Now, the reason why I know that this in Exodus 30 is a type of the anointing of the Holy Ghost and, and, and the spices are symbolical of, of humanity is because of what the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 133. And I want you to turn there and I want you to look at this. Psalm 133, David had this to say, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. You see what he's doing? He's making reference to the blending together of the different personalities. And he said, just as God, or just as God instructed Moses, take them and crush them all and pour the oil and mix them together and anoint the high priest. He said, this is the way it ought to be with brothers and sisters of like precious faith. That, that God has put a common denominator to blend us all together. And that's the Holy Ghost. Praise God. It's the love we had for God and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Now, in Calvary Gospel Church, truthfully, I've got some people who want hard to clap their hands. They're just that kind of people. I, they never get excited about anything. I think you could walk up and give Irv Manley a million dollars, and he'd look at this and say, what's this for? That's just the way he is. <clears throat> and I've got one sister in our church that if you walked up and you had a, you, you had a card that had her name on it, she'd start jumping up and down screaming before she ever opened it up. That's <clears throat> just the way she is. You know? And sometimes when she worships, she almost gets spastic. I mean, I'm telling you just, wow, wow. I mean, just all over the place. <clears throat> you may say, what do you think of it, Brother Grant? Well, I've got my own way of doing it. And let me do it my way. In other words, I'm not going to be critical of her. Neither will I be critical of the others. But I don't want them to be critical of me. We're all together in this. I want people, to, when they come to the house of God, that doesn't mean I won't give directives to people. If I see something that's not right, people showing out and this side, that doesn't mean I won't take care of that. But it does mean this, that everybody needs to express himself to his God the way that he wants to. And I also feel that there are certain things in the Scripture that every man has is entitled to his own opinion. I personally brought up this about apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, because I know that, that some of our Bible schools taught differently, and some of our men don't believe in the five-fold ministry. They believe that it's there, but believe part of it existed in the days of the apostles. And, and since the closing of the New Testament such that, that there's a certain part of that, to, it, it is with us, but it is with us only through Scripture. You may say, are you, well, <clears throat> I could, you know what I could do? I could take my Bible, and if Brother Rogers believed it otherwise, or Brother Kyle believed it otherwise, he could take his Bible, and we could, we could spend months right here in, this, in, in the confinement of this room wrestling around with this. And, and I'll assure you when we opened the door and walked out that the only thing we would have accomplished is that we, we, we'd feel bad at each other. And that's about all we'd accomplish. You know, like somebody was telling me over the phone, and I don't mind telling you this because I think I should. A uh, preacher called me, and he said, I'm going to see a certain preacher. And I said, yeah, I was at the, just at their camp meeting. I didn't see this preacher. He said, yeah. He said, uh, years ago, he, he got hurt over something, so he doesn't go around very much. And, and so, you know, he was, he was trying to tell me what had happened and everything. And I, 
I, I wasn't that interested, you know. And I said, well, I asked him, I said, how long ago was this? He said, 30 years. I said, well, <clears throat> you know, one thing for sure, if you're ever hurt, uh, you want to make sure you never get over it. He said, did I hear you right? I said, yes, you heard me right. He said, did you say, Brother Grant, if you're ever hurt, make sure you don't get over it? And I said, yeah, that's what I said. I said, that you seem to think that's okay. But, you know, bitterness is a choice. Anger is a choice. But, you know, unity is a choice, too. I say unity is a choice, too. I'm going to close, and I, I just I have markers all over my Bible. I used all the markers I have. I have some receipts. One of them from, from Pick and Save and Shano. <clears throat> I need those two chairs, and we'll just put these two chairs. And I need two. Face each other, all right? Face each other. Now, in the Old Testament, behind the veil was the holiest of holy. It's the holy place. Inside the holy place, behind the veil, was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with gold, and there were golden cherubims on each side. Now, the thing about it is, inside of this ark, there was Aaron's rod that budded, brought forth almonds, full bloom and almonds in one night. There was a pot of manna that they had received from the wilderness, and there were the Ten Commandments. Now, the Bible makes reference that God dwelled between the cherubims. The high priest was to come in once a year on the Day of Atonement. And sit in the mercy seat. Now remember, this was a mercy seat because he was seeking mercy for Israel. See? Now there was something that was unique about these angels. And that is, the Bible says that they had their wings and they put their wings up toward the heavens. Do that. Put your wings up. All the way up. Come on up a little higher. Okay? Now... The thing about it is they look down upon the mercy seat. Look down. You've got to look down. See, they cast their eyes down upon the mercy seat. And their wings touch in the middle. And the priest was to sit under the shadow of these wings. Now, what I want to point out to you is this. This is exactly the way mercy works. And that is, you see, we don't always see eye to eye. And because we don't always see eye to eye, we're best not to even try in many cases. So what should we do? We should always cast our eyes down at the mercy of God. Because as right as you'll ever be, you'll be wrong one of these days. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But God purposefully let their wings touch, which represents the blending together of their spirits while they did not see eye to eye they cast their 
Eyes upon the mercy seat to the point that their spirits blended. And we want this service tonight to be a service that you'll never forget. Hopefully every person in this building will touch your wings with your brothers and sisters here in this place. And not only that, but your wings will reach out and touch the wings of other people. Uh, Let's lift our hands and worship God. My Lord and my Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, Lord, you're just so good. That's it. Let's go ahead and worship God for a few moments. We worship you, God. Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus. Yandaramoto Sakata Yamandalabahata. My Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus. Oh, oh Lord of heaven. God. Oh God, oh God, oh God. God is so good. Now there's a beautiful spirit here, and I hope you may be seated. Brother Stephen Kyle, your pastor, has sought license with the United Pentecostal Church. I've known Brother Kyle for many years. Uh, I have personally observed him and seen him grow spiritually. Of course, Sister Lisa came into our church. I know all about the situation with the the church in Sheboygan because I came there, I taught. I uh, refused to get into any kind of a battle about right and wrong. As you know, all I tried to do was teach the scripture and try to get people to abide by the scripture. See, I've always believed that if you run your life by principles and not by feelings, that you'll always be ethical. And uh, yet at the same time, I do understand uh, a lot about the situation that perhaps uh, many of you have not comprehended. We uh, would really like to see throughout the world all true believers together. I don't know that that will ever be the case. but uh, 
I'm not saying it has to be the case. We've never believed in the United Pentecostal Church, at least I've never believed, that the United Pentecostal Church is the bride of Christ. I believe it is a segment of the bride of Christ. That's what I believe. I believe that there are many people outside of the United Pentecostal Church that there'll be people in heaven that never heard of UPC. I really believe that. I'm not here to try to sell you a bill of goods about the United Pentecostal Church. But I am here to offer a suggestion. Naturally, if Brother Kiley comes into the United Pentecostal Church, that puts the church in quite an awkward position because normally in a situation like this, when a man comes in, his church comes in also. I personally asked Brother Kiley if I could come here and teach Scripture to you. I did not come here to teach you the Pentecostal manual or the value of becoming a bona fide member of the United Pentecostal Church. But I came here representing the manual of life, the Bible. I worked with your pastor to compile a letter to send to the Wisconsin District Board, more specifically now, to Brother Lewis Wassman and the Apostolic Bible Church Congregation. I am not here to throw any stones. I am simply here, I think, to offer to you a scriptural directive that will bring God's great blessings and favor upon you. You follow what I'm saying? Now, before I read this letter, uh, I know that some of you will say, well, what about this church? What are they going to do? Well, they have not called on us for help. They've not called on us for assistance. I have helped them. I have talked with Pastor Wasman and his wife, no doubt many more times than what any of you would know. I have always made it a practice that when problems occur, that I never go into a church and make uh, public example out of the leader. I don't think that's right. If the pastor's done something wrong, I, I deal with him separate and apart from the people, and the people are not aware of it. If you come in my office for counseling, and maybe you bring your teenage son, if I felt you were doing something wrong, I would never point that out in front of your son. I think you can understand that. That, that certainly weakens your position. So we have given them a directive, but what they do with that is up to them, just like it's up to you what you do. But I think this is in the best interest of Scripture. I want you to read this. I want you to get every word of it. Now, this is not something that was put together <clears throat> only by me or only by Pastor Kiley, but something we, we worked on ourselves. Wisconsin District Board... This is uh, dated uh, August 24th, 1994, Wisconsin District Board. Reverend Lewis Wasman, an apostolic Bible church congregation. In other words, it goes to the district board and then also to Brother Wasman. That would be our desire to take this letter and present it to Brother Wasman ourselves. That is the district board. Dear Brother Wasman and Saints, it is the sincere desire of this congregation to join in fellowship with the United Pentecostal Church International 
And you may say, oh, no, that's not my desire. Well, you don't have to. Uh, please understand, nobody's going to try to coerce you into to doing this if you don't want to. We're putting this together because all of you together, it's, you'd take days for you to put together a letter. All right. <clears throat> we write this letter in the spirit of humility and submission, and certainly we hope that it will be accepted likewise. It would be fruitless to try to unravel all the details of the past. While there are many situations that occurred that we are embarrassed about, we are hoping the true spirit of this assembly is received and appreciated, and that all of the past chapters of our adverse involvement with Pastor Wassman be forgiven and forgotten. Now, this broad statement is not an attempt to whitewash or cover up any wrongdoing on our part, but rather an attempt to communicate the true spirit of Calvary, which hopefully is evident in all of us. We believe we are all true exceptions to the the original law of sin. Jesus made an exception for all who repent, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We further believe that in order to gain eternal life, that we must show our Lord's death till he comes. In doing this, we must not only seek forgiveness of God, but also the forgiveness of man. While several members of our congregation have stated that they have attempted to make things right, we do not hesitate in approaching the situation again, seeing that all saints must die daily. Therefore, we humbly seek your forgiveness of any and all wrongdoing on our part. Several members of this congregation were not a part of the past situation, but quickly and without hesitation support the contents of this letter. While we understand time does not erase wrong, we hope that it will change your perspective of the situation. As time goes on, we trust that this community will see and appreciate the love and unity that we show toward each other. We also call upon those among us who may harbor feelings toward Pastor Wassman, his wife, or some other saint to quickly and readily put the matter under blood. This can only be accomplished by having a forgiving spirit ourselves. We desire fellowship with the United Pentecostal Church and pledge our loyal support to both the general and district programs. We further agree to speak respectfully of your leaders or not speak at all. In conclusion, we desire to build our congregation from those outside the body of Christ, and we understand that it is not ethical to persuade members of another United Pentecostal Church to become members of our assembly. In our short existence, we have baptized nearly 50 people and sincerely desire to see God continue to add daily in this manner. We desire to keep ourselves separated from the world and and pledge to stand by the doctrines of the Holy Scripture until he takes us all home. Thank you for your consideration of this matter, and may God bless. Respectfully, Pastor Steve Cowley and Congregation of the First Pentecostal Church of Plymouth. I have read this to you, and as I stated, Brother Kylie and I put this together. He sought my counsel, and I sought his counsel. I think that this is, is scriptural. Uh, I don't think it's, it's hurtful. In fact, I think it will be healthy for this congregation. And I'm going to lay this letter out, and Brother and Sister Kylie are going to come first and sign And uh, we'd like for all of you to sign this. But if, for some reason, there's anybody here who cannot and will not sign it, please understand, 
we'll put no pressure on you. We just, I just think it's just time. It's just time to say, hey, the Lord's coming. There's been a lot of hurt. Let's just blend our spirits together and let's get on with the work of Calvary. Now, <clears throat> children may sign this also. All right? As many as would like. So I'm going to give this to Brother Kiley, and he will place it out someplace for you. Let's lift our hands while he's doing this. Would you do that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.